I'm driving down to the church mid-afternoon and uh, it seems a little bit quieter than normal. People are staying in their homes as they've been advised to do. Last night there was an announcement that all non-essential services were being shut down. That includes cafes and restaurants, all sorts of shops. You can't get married with any more than five people. Uh, seems pretty crazy. The coronavirus is impacting our world and some people are losing their jobs right now so it is creating a very tangible sense of fear. Today we're going to talk about how to overcome fear in order to complete God's call on our lives and we're going to see what we can learn from the life of Gideon in the book of Judges. So if you'd like to turn to the book of Judges, that's where we'll be this morning or this evening or whenever it is that you're, you're actually joining us. Before we get there, I want to have some fun. Let's think about some words that describe fears. Who knows what glossophobia stands for? Glossophobia, the fear of public speaking. Leave a comment if you have a fear of public speaking. I have right now glossoautophobia, which is the fear of speaking publicly whilst driving. I made that up, but it's quite real. What about oblutophobia? Anyone have oblutophobia? We have to get over that right now because that's the fear of washing and bathing. So you need to really do your best overcome that and start washing those hands. What about bromidrosophobia? Bromidrosophobia. I have a bit of that right now because that's the fear of body smells. Not because my wife's with me, but one of my sons is. <laughs> uh, Didascalinophobia. Didascalinophobia. What is that? Well, there's an upside for most things. That is the fear of going to school. So some people who are not going to school right now are feeling very happy. And the last one is homolophobia. Homolophobia is the fear of sermons. So uh, if you have homolophobia, I'm sorry about that. But hang in there. You can do it. The Bible says in 2 Timothy 1 verse 7, For God has not given us a spirit of fear, but of power and of love and of a sound mind. God has not given us a spirit of fear, and yet life causes us to fear. Worldwide pandemic plagues cause us to fear. Loss of income, uncertainty of the future, causes fear. Scripture says God has not given us a spirit of fear but of power and love and a sound mind. Today we're going to look at the story of Gideon and we're in the book of Judges as we said before chapter 6 and verse 1. Don't forget thanks to Life Church and this excellent digital platform there is a Bible right there on your screen which is amazing. These are the guys who created the online Bible, version. It all came from one crazily generous church. Gideon was a man who knew all about 
fear. Gideon lived somewhere around 1100 BC, 3000 years ago in the book of Judges. We're told that Gideon was scared to death of a group of people called the Midianites. We'll pick up the story in Judges chapter 6 and verse 1. Again, the Israelites did evil in the eyes of the Lord, and for seven years he gave them into the hands of the Midianites. Because the power of Midian was so oppressive, the Israelites prepared shelters for themselves in mountain clefts, caves, and strongholds. I'm assuming most people engaging with this teaching have not been hunted. Some of our friends in the military know what it's like, but for the rest of us, it's the stuff of dreams or nightmares uh, to experience fear to the point of reaching a primal fight or flight situation is not what we tend to experience in our everyday lives. The Israelites are scared and they're hiding in caves from the Midianites. There's a backstory regarding the Midianites. We find it in Numbers chapter 31 verses 1 to 2. This is around 200 years before the time of Gideon. Numbers 31, 1 to 2. And the Lord spoke to Moses saying, Take vengeance on the Midianites for the children of Israel. Afterward, you shall be gathered to your people. Numbers 31 tells the story pretty graphically. 31 7 to 12 in fact if you want to read something to get you wondering about the challenge of holy war in the bible then read this passage i'm not going to read it because that subject matter is not our main emphasis today and i guess it's problematic in that god asks his people to kill a whole lot of midianites the total destruction of the midianites at the end of the book of numbers appears to be one of the last things god asked moses to do before his death but they didn't completely wipe them out. 200 years later, the tables have turned. Judges 6 goes on to say, they ruined the crops all the way to Gaza and did not spare a living thing for Israel, neither sheep, nor cattle, nor donkeys. It was impossible to count the men and their camels. Basically, Israel were being ravaged from north to south across their land. The Midianites were having their revenge. Then comes along Gideon, Judges 6, verse 11. The angel of the Lord came and sat down under the oak in Ophrah that belonged to Joash the Abiezrite, where his son Gideon was threshing wheat in a winepress to keep it from the Midianites. Gideon, it seems, is a young farmer. He is uh, threshing wheat, not up on a hill in the breeze where you would expect him to be, but rather he's hiding in a wine press, literally shaking in his boots, afraid that the Midianites might discover him, kill him, and steal the wheat. Judges 6, verse 12. When the angel of the Lord appeared to Gideon, he said, The Lord is with you, mighty warrior. Now, if you've read a bit of your Bible before, you'll know that this is a classic line. The Lord is with you, mighty warrior. It's been taught in Sunday schools forever. 
What do we learn from the classic statement made by an angel to a young man living a long time ago? We learn this. God sees the you that you don't know is in you. God saw something in Gideon that Gideon didn't see in himself. To be completely honest, it sort of sounds ridiculous. The angel of the Lord calls Gideon a mighty warrior and yet he's a young farm boy, not a warrior. This young man is hiding in a wine press, threshing wheat in fear of the enemy. His knees are knocking, he's scared, yet the angel of the Lord calls him mighty warrior. God saw something in Gideon that Gideon didn't see in himself. The same is true for you and I. As God looks into your life, he will see more in you than you see in yourself. Like Michelangelo uh, visualizing the five meter tall statue of David out of a block of marble in the 16th century. No one else saw that statue, but David did. God sees the you that you don't know is in you. You know, Jesus had heroically died on that Roman cross and risen again. And the disciples were pumped at the thought that it all, it all could be true, what Jesus had taught about himself for the last three years. But they were still afraid, still a little confused. And then Jesus is sitting on the sandy shore of the Sea of Galilee after his resurrection. And he's cooking fish for some of the disciples. And then Peter comes to him and and Peter's ashamed of the way he had denied Christ. And in that moment, Jesus sees the future Peter, not the scared Peter. He sees the rock, the preacher, the leader. He sees in Peter, a Peter that Peter didn't know was there. So Jesus simply asks Peter, do you love me? Then feed my lambs. Look after my people as a shepherd leader. Our lives are framed up by years of feedback loops. Our parents tell us what we're like. From the time we look out of the bassinet, we discover subliminally whether we're cute and good-looking enough. Growing up as a child and then teenager is a constant barrage of feedback telling us whether we shape up or not whether we fit in or whether we just don't. Our view of ourselves tends to get shaped by our choices and successes and failures. God sees what could be. Funny thing is, even when God communicates with us something of his dreams for our lives, normally the first thing that happens is we start thinking through all the reasons why it won't happen and how we couldn't be that person. Judges 6.13 says, But sir, Gideon replied, if the Lord is with us, why has all this happened to us? Where, where are all his wonders that our fathers told us about when they said, Did not the Lord bring us up out of Egypt? But now the Lord has abandoned us and put us into the hand of Midian. When God is leading us into the path he needs us to walk down to become the person he sees we can become. We find some obstacles at the beginning of that path. Obstacle number one, 
tends to be typically God can't be trusted. It's an obstacle we create in our minds. God can't be trusted. Gideon's first place to go to in his inner world is, where's God when you need him? Where has he been while we've been hammered by the Midianites? Sounds like a line that comes straight from the devil's mouth, doesn't it? You can't trust God. We know what this is like. The Bible says you can't please God without faith, which implies that on the pathway God is leading us to become the person he sees in us, it's going to require faith. Obviously, because it's God who's doing it and he always requires faith. God regularly puts us in predicaments where we simply must trust him because it brings him the most glory and reminds us of our true place in the scheme of things. This idea is very real for us right now, isn't it? We, we simply must trust God. Seems like a lot of irreligious people right now all over the world are talking to God more than they ever have before. Insecurity number one is the suspicion that God can't be trusted. Obstacle or insecurity number two is I'm not good enough. I'm not good enough. Judges 6.15. But Lord Gideon asked, how can I save Israel? My clan is the weakest in Manasseh and I am the least in my family. I'm not good enough, Lord. I can't do this thing that you're calling me to do. How can I save Israel? You call me a mighty warrior? Yet I come from the weakest clan and I'm the weakest guy in the clan. Got to admit, that's some pretty breathtaking self-reflection and honesty. I've checked out the competition and I'm ranked last. I don't know if you can relate to this. I can. I, I find myself now having spent the best part of my adult life in a role of leadership in God's church. But growing up, that certainly wasn't how I saw myself heading in, in my life. I used to hide under the table in kindergarten uh, rather than get up in front of people. I never put my name forward for any leadership role throughout school. I was uh, the front man ultimately in a rock band in year 12 and my parents nearly fell off their chairs in the school assembly when they saw it happen because they just thought this boy is never going to stand up in front of anyone. Can you relate to the response, Lord, I'm not good enough. I can't do that. Do you ever say things like that about yourself? You sense that God is calling you to something and yet you are acutely aware how inadequate you are for the task at hand. It's funny, I think it, it's this whole sense of moving into what God has for us. It's, it's simple and yet it's complex being used by God effectively in his kingdom. I've noticed over the years that often people in their brokenness want to do things that maybe they're not gifted for or they haven't trained for, they haven't prepared their heart for. And for those people, God has a time of preparation required. Then there are others who are totally ready to go and we're simply scared 
God sees something in us that we don't. And we often have these two classic insecurity responses. And we see them in the life of Gideon. Can I really trust God's character and his faithfulness? I don't think I'm good enough. Is there a fear that has kept you from doing what God has called you to do? What's the worst that could happen if you stepped into it, this call, and trusted God? 2 Timothy 1.7 says, For God has not given us a spirit of fear, but of power and of love and of a sound mind. The true story of God's interaction with a young man called Gideon reminds us of how our unchanging God deals with people throughout the ages. He loves to take unsure, insecure and fearful people and do what only he can do through them. This is what we find from the life of Gideon. Truth number one, God's strength through our weakness is exactly enough. Judges 6.14 The Lord turned to him and said, Go in the strength you have and save Israel out of Midian's hand. Am I not sending you? In the New Testament, the Apostle Paul talks about God filling up people like jars of clay with the treasure of his spirit and his truth. God's strength through our weakness is enough. Amen. I wonder if you could give your attention now to Virginia, one of our associate pastors, as she shares about finding strength in weakness. One of the most formative times in my life um, has been when my husband Pete died. And I think Grace and Tom and I were so much in that that um, in some ways we didn't see his death coming as quickly as it in the end it did. And so that was a time when out of real weakness that I turned to God and and knew that he was there in strength for me and really became mother and father to them, even though they were grown up, um, became mother and father to them. And he enabled that to happen out of his out of his strength and my weakness. But I suppose in a more recent time has been the last couple of months um, being back at Northern Life. Different, um, but the same sort of lesson. I left work um, as a teacher last year and came with great excitement and expectation to work with community care here at Northern Life and that expectation um, from the congregation as well. And I felt a sense of paralysis in some ways of hearing what people were hoping and things just not getting off the ground as much as I had hoped they would. Uh, when I spent some time away in January with my dad, who was dying, uh, I had some more chance to just spend time with God, I suppose, and really um, pray into that when I wasn't with my dad. And so I came back with a sense of, okay, let's get going in this. And yet there was still a sense of paralysis about that. And so privately, I found that quite hard, just thinking, okay, God, what have you got for me in this? You know, what are you, you've put me here for a reason. What, what's it all about? I'm sure it's not to fail. And so just reading his scriptures and going back to the 23rd Psalm, where he says, even though you wa- I'll walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I'll fear no evil because he's with me. His rod and his staff comfort me. I've just used the, 
seeing the rod and the staff as the scriptures and prayer and just listening to the movement of the Holy Spirit in me and just resting into God to find the strength in my weakness or to bring that out of me. And even though it sounds weird, it's just in the last couple of weeks with the coronavirus, I know I've hit my sweet spot. I know this is what God made me for. I'm good in crisis and emergency. And all of a sudden I feel energised and I feel like I can take people with me where I haven't felt that so much before in the last couple of months, even though I've been frustrated by that. Um, And so there's a sense of energy and excitement um, and obviously concern, but I feel like God is saying, I made the situation. I was waiting for you to really lean into me and out of that weakness I can and put you and do with you what I want. God has been preparing some of us for a very long time for such a time as this. God is raising up his church now as the world moves towards hardship and challenge. He is raising up a voice of hope in the midst of hopelessness and he is empowering a people to be the hands and feet of Jesus to do the good works that Jesus has prepared in advance for us to do in his name. Amen. So how has God prepared you for this season of challenge and anxiety? Others will fear, but you will find strength and courage and peace as you rest in the reality of the presence of the one true living God. Judges 6.16 tells us the Lord answered I will be with you and you will strike down all the Midianites together. The first thing God asked Gideon to do was risky. From verse 25 to 32, God told Gideon to rip down his father's altar to Baal, the foreign god, and to cut down the Asherah poles, to build an altar to the Lord and to offer a bull from his father's herd on the wood from the Asherah pole. Remember, the Asherah poles are phallic symbols of worship to the pagan gods of the nations. They're meant to give you more favourable crops. This is a really risky and dangerous thing to do. The following morning, when the men of the town woke and saw what was done, they wanted to basically lynch Gideon. Very wisely, his father said in verse 31 to the townspeople, if Baal is God, let him take care of Gideon. He doesn't need you to do his work for him. Obviously, nothing happened. God was faithful. God stood with Gideon and kept him safe. God's strength is displayed in our weakness. But what is obvious throughout church history and our own lives is that God's strength is displayed in our lives progressively. By progressively, I mean he will give us his weak church tasks to do that begin small and get progressively larger. Truth number two, whenever God calls us to step up, to risk, to trust him, he gives us something smaller to do first that not only tests our faith, but ultimately builds our faith. So having stepped out in a smaller area of faith, God takes Gideon onto the next level. Judges 6, 33 to 35. Now all the Midianites 
Amalekites and other eastern peoples joined forces and crossed over the Jordan and camped in the valley of Jezreel. Then the Spirit of the Lord came upon Gideon and he blew a trumpet, summoning the Abiezrites to follow him. He sent messengers through Manasseh, calling them to arms, and also into Asher, Zebulun and Naphtali, so that they too went up to meet them. Somehow God has changed this frightened farm boy hiding in a wine press, threshing wheat into a mighty warrior overnight. When the enemy did their usual thing and came swarming into Israel during the harvest, Gideon does the most amazing thing. He calls all the people of Israel to come and fight with him. And incredibly, they come. Gideon summoned all the men from the surrounding areas to come and fight. 32,000 men turned up to fight. That's a lot of men. That's a big army. Well, it is until you realize that the enemy had 135,000 soldiers. That's what Judges 6.10 says. 135,000 against 32,000. And what does God say to Gideon? Judges 7.2. The Lord said to Gideon, you have too many men for me to deliver Midian into their hands. In order that Israel may not boast against me that her own strength has saved her. What? Too many? That brings us to our third Gideon truth. Truth number three. With God, the way forward is often backwards. You ever found that in life, you're set to go, but God sends a detour. You, just when you're set to go, he thinks, now's the time to press pause. And he reduces your perceived confidence levels just a little more. Judges 7, 2 to 3. The Lord said to Gideon, You have too many men for me to deliver Midian into their hands, in order that Israel may not boast against me that her own strength has saved her. Announce to the people, Anyone who trembles with fear may turn back and leave Mount Gilead. So 22,000 men left, while 10,000 remained. 22,000 men walk off with their tails between their legs, shaking in fear. That means there's 10,000 left, 10,000 against 135,000. And um, if you know the story, maybe from Sunday school or, or recently, God says to Gideon, there's still too many. God says, take them down to the river to drink and only keep the ones who lift the water in their hands to drink. All the others who stick their face into the water and drink like a dog, send them home. We don't need them. 9,700 men drank, drank like a dog. It's times like these that you just wish people did not put their whole faces into the water. I certainly would be thinking that if I was Gideon. Gideon started off with 32,000 men. He's now down to 300 men left. That's less than 1% of what was a ridiculously small army to start with. That means the army of Israel would, if each soldier took up one square metre, basically fill a tennis court. The army of Midian, on the other hand, if each soldier took up one square metre, would be something like 
10 times the size of the Sydney cricket ground. So you've got 10 cricket grounds worth of armies worth one tennis court. And Gideon is thinking, I thought we were going forward and God says we are. Oh, we are. Have you ever been in those situations when things are so out of your control, it's literally much easier to just trust the Lord. It reminds me of my wife, Leanne, giving birth to one of our kids. He ended up being 10 pound four with a head the size of a small country. And uh, he got stuck, as you might expect, being that big. Um, And as a husband, I know we get the easy job anyway, but as a husband, you feel pretty helpless at that point. Uh, Well, I wasn't completely helpless because I started to pray and prayer is not doing nothing. Prayer matters. And uh, it was a time where all I could do was trust that God had this thing in his hand. And he did. And we had a healthy boy born very soon afterwards. 300 against 135,000. You're saying to God, we really hope that you're going to do something big here. God said, Gideon, just do what I tell you. Give the 300 men each a trumpet, an empty jar and a torch. Some of us know the story in the dead of night. They surround the enormous camp of the Midianites. Imagine it's a big geographic space to get around. And on Gideon's lead, they smash the jars, exposing the 300 torches. They blow the 300 trumpets and God causes the Midianites to turn on themselves and totally destroy themselves. And everyone looked on and said, that had to be God. There's no other way. That that just had to be God. God sees something in you that nobody else sees. But you don't see yourself. He is with you. He is for you. Mighty woman, mighty man of valor. As soon as you sense that, all of your insecurities are going to rise to the surface. And you're going to say to yourself, will God really come through for me? Can I really trust him to be faithful? Am I good enough? In our lives, God wants to help us like he helped Gideon. Amen. God's strength through our weakness is exactly enough. You might feel like things are going backwards right now. But maybe that's God's way of taking you forward. Isaiah 53 says that there was nothing to attract us to Jesus. Nothing in his appearance uh, appearance attracted us to the Son of God, the Lamb of God, the victory of God. When he was about to have his greatest victory, dying for the sin of the world, God stripped him of all his male friends. There were a few of the women who uh, knew him and, 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 and stood at the cross. But he was stripped back and back, naked, bleeding, alone, forsaken. Jesus needed to trust his father. He needed to believe that he could obey Accept the things which looked bad before they looked good. 
He died and rose again and conquered sin, death and the devil against all odds. If you are at the end of your own capacity right now, I want to invite you to reach out to God. Reach out right now. Ask him for help. Pretty well all of us are in our homes, in our lounge rooms. Ask him now to help you. Maybe you need to ask him to save you. Ask him to forgive you. Ask him to show you what it meant that Jesus died for your sin and rose again. We need to step up as God's church in this season we're in. We need to pray fervently against the coronavirus. If you're wondering how you can play your part as the church to have an impact on the world right now, we can at least pray. So would you join us in prayer as Alan Ang leads us in a prayer asking for Jesus Christ to take victory over the coronavirus.